Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Bulls fans, welcome to CHGO Bulls podcast presented to you by always our friends at PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to live your bet life. I am joined. My friend and yours, the I was going to say the, the William in the Brazilian, but that wasn't going to make sense. It's Will in Brazil. How are you, sir? I kind of like that better. I'm doing all right. Um, I actually, I ended our show today. So we're as, as usual. No, 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 no don't, this- don't, don't, don't tell people that we're recording in advance. Don't tell them. Well, obviously, it shows up in their feed at you know seven a.m. on Friday mornings. They know we didn't wake up early. We but, could be very hardworking uh, people. Yeah, we could be, but let's be real. This is August. We're not. Um, <laughs> today is Thursday, August twenty fifth. Um, where yeah. I am, it is eight p.m., which means mm-hmm. there are four more hours left before Patrick Williams turns twenty one. And I wanted to, I wanted to open this up by asking how you're going to celebrate. Well, for me, well, it is uh, Friday, the 26th of August. And um, yes, I understand that it's the 25th in, in the US. And at the time of recording this, thanks to you ruining the uh, the mystique of this for everyone. I was actually going to lead with this, to be honest with you, and pretend that we're actually recording on the day of Sir Patrick Williams's birthday. But uh, how do I feel about it? How am I going to celebrate it? I, well, I, we, I can, know we, can, uh, we can start over the episode if you want to no, 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 cancel no. this we're, recording. We're, yeah, We're too far <laughs> in now, a minute and a half, and can't turn back, can't turn, uh, turn back now. But how am I going to celebrate? I don't know. I, I, look, I'll just... Um, geez, I guess I'll get on YouTube and watch um, a few of the hell highlights that he had from the... <laughs> from last season i'm going into straight trash and patrick williams mode here people are turning off already look i know it's a running joke with us at the moment but um a bit about patrick williams myself being maybe a, a pat will hater which is not necessarily true but it's seemingly the mantle that i've um adopted <laughs> and I, I don't know why it's you know naturally <laughs> naturally gone down this dark path but it is what it is but um Look, for me, Will, no matter how old Patrick Williams is, whether he's 21, 25, 37, 77, I'll always remember him as a 20-year-old with potential, and that's the way I like to think about it. Um, so that's that's how I'll be celebrating, to be honest with you, thinking about all the good times when Pat was 19 and 20 years of age. Patrick, unfortunately, I think has played only like 88 games in his career, and I'm I'm putting together, I know like the, the bit here is between you and Matt, but as as usual, I, I sometimes fall, you know, close to the middle. So I'm putting yeah. together a little bit of a, a spiel in the uh, 
my closing five article that will come out when you, by the time you've heard this podcast, but it's just funny because it's just semantics. And yeah. I, I just, I love it because we're, we're all on the same page here. We all want Pat to be good. We all want to give him time, but arguing between, and I love it today too, because it's like yesterday he had potential today. He doesn't <laughs> today. The potential yeah, is gone. Stupid. It is dumb, but like, for like I don't, I don't care how old Pat is, like whether he's 20 or 23 or 22 or whatever, like just be good. I don't care how old you are. But like my, my point with the whole thing is people only reference your age of he's only X, X amount of years old when things maybe haven't gone to plan uh, or at least the, it hasn't developed in exactly the way we wanted it to. And, and we well, know why that hasn't because he missed half of his or more than half of his second season. Now, obviously, it's not it wasn't within his control. Maybe it would have been a worse situation if he did play and was you know bad in his second season, which wasn't the case. He's obviously injured and missed most of the year. But I, I guess my point is and why it frustrates me. As of oh, look, I've, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, so I have no idea why I'm doing this now. But we only talk about Pat being twenty or soon to be twenty one because things haven't necessarily gone to plan. Like if Pat was awesome in year two or in year one that we wouldn't be talking about his age we'd be talking about how awesome he is so that's my only issue with it and we are seemingly only doing it with Patrick Williams and not with other players and like for example Will did you do you know THT from the Lakers who just got traded to the Utah he's only 21 I knew he was young but I didn't know he's that young the player I want to point out is Kobe White he's only 22 exactly like does, same age as I what what happens there yeah, I was like, like what's the ruling on that? I'm only 20. <laughs> How do we adjudicate this? My potential's gone. I'm done. But let's let's well, talk about know, Zach Levine. Yeah. I want to do that instead of yeah. complaining yeah. about uh, Patrick Williams' potential. Only 27, Zach Levine. That, that's that's yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, and Did this contract he's typically like the one player who's in that age bracket. Like, I mean, Lonzo's just below at 24, 25. I guess you could add Caruso in that age range as well, but. The Bulls don't really have a lot of guys in this age range, at least guys that um, you know are within the playable rotation that you foresee being here for the long term. Interestingly, like, it's kind of like you got the older guys, um, you know, your Demars and your Virtues more more generally. And then you got some of the younger guys where you got Pat, you got Kobe, Io, uh, even I'll throw in Lonzo in there as well. But it's interesting that the Bulls don't have more of these guys like like Zach. We're going to be talking about Zach more generally, just in, well, entirely on this podcast because. I think when when we were prepping this for this show, like it's, it's it was kind of odd. Like the only thing that we've really talked about with Zach Levine, maybe for the last twelve months, was his contract. At least that's how it feels like. We we have rarely talked about him from a pure basketball sense, whether it was um, you know recapping his last season, whether it's looking ahead for Zach. Like we haven't really t- discussed Zach the basketball player. It's always just been, is Zach worth the max? Is Zach good enough for this? Can he be the lead guy? This this in this kind of conversation, like. We just haven't really gone into the minutiae of Zach, the player, what we project he potentially can be. And the fact, like, we like to talk about development with guys like Io, Pat, Kobe, Lonzo, whoever it may be, like, the, your standard young guys. But uh, I was being facetious before, like, Zach's only 27, but, like, he's still got a lot of potential improvement in his game. But maybe we can start talking about Zach and just, you know, recapping his season from last year, Will, because I, I, I feel like it's still overlooked somewhat. Absolutely. And... Like you said, I'm glad to be sort of diving into Zach and not only like his season from last year, and I think even the past couple, but sort of projecting this out in the future, because to your point, like we've talked about the injuries, we've talked about how he fits with the Mar, how, you know, 
his first playoff experience went, all this stuff, but and and certainly whether or not he's worth this max contract. But to to kind of tie up what we're talking about in terms of potential and age and timeline with guys like Damar versus Pat and Io and and Lonzo, if you want to put him in that group, like Zach is clearly now the focal point. He's the one that ties all of this together between the win now core of Damar and Vooch and the sort of hopeful build for the future thread the needle group of those younger guys I just mentioned. And yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about him in terms of money and in terms of how, you know, what his deficiencies are, but I'm, I think there is a lot of room for him to still grow and let's, let's get into that. But first sort of zoom out and look at how he performed this past year. So obviously dealt with the injuries, but played in 67 games and averaged 24 and a half points, 4.6 rebounds, four and a half assists, shooting 47%, 47.5% from the field, 38.9 from three and 85.3 from the line. It was actually the first year with the Bulls and really the first year um, with the exception of the year that he missed due to his ACL injury, where his numbers didn't just increase, increase, increase across the board. And obviously a lot of that had to do with circumstance and context. He was playing next to uh, a true lead playmaker. And I actually am curious to get your thoughts on how he sort of adapted to that role, because that's really, I think the story of the season here, and we can talk about health and all these things that we have to caveat every single episode, but Zach becoming, I think, sort of the best version of who he was, who he is, who he can be, playing alongside a guy like Damar. What did you make of his sort of transition into that role? Look, I think initially there were times where he was pressing and maybe, you know, forcing a shot because, you know, the previous two or three possessions, maybe it was Damar time or Vooch was getting, you know, a couple touches here and there. So there was there were some possessions where I felt like, his uh, shot selection this season probably waned compared to the prior season. So from that perspective, I didn't think he was as good from a pure shot selection perspective. But that isn't to say it was bad or he didn't adapt to this role or he didn't work nicely with DeMar because ultimately they did. Like there was a run where they were both averaging over 25 points per game. They were one of the highest combining scoring duos in the NBA. So like, and that's why I found it really laughable and actually quite frankly, quite annoying when, you know, this narrative as we're entering the offseason about Zach, you know, not really liking the uh, the shine that DeMar was getting and the fact that DeMar was taking shots in the fourth, all this sort of nonsense. Like, for those people that watched every Bulls game last season, like, we knew that Zach had no issue playing next to DeMar, whether it was from a pure, like, fr- from a pure just, I guess, being part of a team type thing. That, like, Zach's always been a team guy. There's always been this notion surrounding him or this narrative around him that, you know, he's a shoot first ball hog type player, which has never been the case. It's just always been, he's been on shitty teams with shitty teammates who don't necessarily deserve to shoot the ball. So I wasn't surprised to see someone like Zach play well off of DeMar. There was never any issue with sharing the ball with DeMar. I think, I think more generally, and, and I, you know, I think you can play this, this, this start, this statement to a couple players in the NBA, but for me, like he's one of the most malleable NBA stars more generally, just the way he plays or the way you can use him. You want to put him on ball, you can put him on ball. He'll be effective from there. Like he's one of the better ISO scorers in the NBA. When he gets to the rim, he's one of the most efficient scorers at the rim. You want to put him off ball, you're, you're utilizing one of the best jump shooters in the NBA. And to be frank, like 
there's so much untapped potential with this guy as an off-ball player in, in my mind. Like, even with DeMar, like, you still need Zach on the ball a lot in Chicago. But if Zach was a second or third option, depending on who that first or second option was, you know, if he was playing elsewhere, let's say, uh, the way people would be thinking about Zach and talking about Zach would be in a completely different lens, in my opinion, just due to the fact of you know how freaking good his jump shot is. And we don't really understand it because uh, we, we see him on ball so much, Will. But like, if this dude was playing next to a Luca or playing next to a LeBron or a Giannis or, or a situation like that where you could utilize him more off ball, like in a Clay Thompson type role, um, that isn't to say he shouldn't dribble or never dribble like Clay does, but like in a role more like that where he's running off pin down, running off screens, you know, still being devastating, but not necessarily having the the amount of on ball reps. Like, I don't know. I just feel like the potential and or that maybe the the narrative and the perspective around who Zach is would completely change. And that, that's not to say like it hasn't already because he's been a, an all star last couple of seasons. Like some of the haters that were existing have uh, perhaps. Uh, changed their opinion or at least gone dormant. But I don't know. I just feel like if he was in a different situation with different players and didn't start his career in Minnesota and Chicago, that I, I just still feel like people would be uh, talking about him a lot differently than what they currently are. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why all the Lakers fans were like salivating over his oh, unrestricted I mean, free agency. You imagine him there? All the Mavs fans like saying the Bulls were going to yeah. do a sign and trade for like Tim Hardaway Jr., like, yeah, obviously, Zach is really, really good. And um, I want to sort of focus on one of the things that you brought up, which was like this idea of playing next to a lead creator. Because for me, you know, we've talked a lot about continuity and internal development and, and all these ways that I think the Bulls are going to need to improve in order to be better, obviously. Um, for me, I think Zach playing in that role is one of the areas where there's maybe like some of the most untapped potential on this team, because Zach has never done that before. And that's a huge adjustment. I mean, we talked about it with Vooch, right. And, you know, Vooch had a rough season. I I think we can all agree on that. Even, you know, the two of us being uh, apologists, but like, that's a tough transition for Zach. And obviously it's not like a, well, I want to win, but only my way. It's like, it's a total change in, the the whole like consistency and structure of the offense and I think the more comfortable he gets playing alongside guys like DeMar who are really really good at creating offense for themselves and obviously you know using that gravity and that scoring threat to create shots for guys like Zach I mean I think Zach has a lot of room to improve Um, we saw it I think a little bit more in the first half of the season where the Bulls were playing a little bit faster where, you know, defense wasn't as, you know, he didn't have to focus as much on defense. There was a little bit more um, mop-up duty around him in the form of Lonzo and Caruso. Um, But I think, and I think the other area here where it's interesting to me is when you talk about it with Clay Thompson, for example, who you mentioned, like Clay was taking some terrible shots in the finals. He was like jacking up contested threes every single time he touched the ball. But I think it works because the Warriors have such uh, a unique system that everybody buys into and and defaults into that that's going to be the flow of their offense and that, you know, any shot they can get out of that is a good shot. The Bulls don't feel as much like they have that sort of offensive identity. And that's another thing that, you know, we've touched on a bit here. And I think the more infrastructure that Billy Donovan builds around Zach, and that's 
where this continuity idea comes to is like continuing to develop on the offense, continuing to develop on the chemistry and being a teammate of DeMar. I think that really helps elevate Zach's game. And that's, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to watching him in this upcoming season. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing will be, uh, I guess like DeMar's 32 going on 33 at this point, like, can he do what he did last season? Carry? Can he carry an offense to the same degree that he did last season? If the answer is yes, then then nice. That's obviously you know really good for everyone involved, including us fans. But like, if whatever reason Demar just has a natural regression because the dude is now thirty three, and you know aging as obviously the season goes on, does that put Zach back in a situation where he's having to get more on board in that sense? So like, I'm I'm sort of wondering. You know, whilst we can theorize and, and and think about how amazing it would be to have Zach in a more uh, supplemental, I guess, off-ball type role, if that's a situation where you can put Demar in, you know, there's the primary uh, initiator, and then you know Zach be the the guy that comes in thereafter. Like that's all nice and good, and in, in, in and it works well in theory, and that's what maybe we would have liked to have seen in in the years prior to Demar, like having more situations where Zach was off-ball. But if, if if the situation doesn't necessitate that, or like you don't have an, uh, as you don't have, I guess, players around him who could come in and maybe take the ball off him in that situation, like are we are we going to potentially be back in a situation where Zach is going to need to be, uh, you know, exploring more of that on ball role just more generally? Because you know, fair enough if if, if Demar was twenty seven, twenty eight, like Zach, but like I don't think it's reasonable to expect Demar to be on ball as much as he is or was last season and being the primary guy going forward, I think that kind of there needs to be a natural transition in a similar way where, you know, Chris Paul came into Phoenix and was the guy in year one, but it kind of felt like last season that it became sort of Devin Booker's team ultimately in the end. So I'm wondering like if the Bulls will have a similar transition here with DeMar and Zach, whereby, yeah, okay, last season was primarily about DeMar and his brilliance, but like I, I, I can't imagine... Demar replicating that level of of efficiency more generally, but like again, like I don't know if I want him to have that amount of usage and amount of um, on ball reps. So from that perspective, like maybe it's um, a requirement to get back Zach on ball, I guess. Yeah, and that's where I'm glad you brought up the Suns because you know as we talk about continuity and building that kind of program, I think you can really apply some of the same stuff that the Suns have built with. Monty Williams in this core around Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, I think that's part of the continuity is this slow transition period where, and, and granted, like a lot of this was sort of disrupted due to these injuries, but this transition from DeMar having to create and all the offense running through him into maybe not just like giving Zach the ball more, because I think we all know he can do that, um, he did it for five years with the Bulls. It just didn't happen to go as well because the team around him was garbage. Um, but teaching him how to run that sort of offense and teaching him how to exist as the primary ball handler, because as we talk about Zach here, and I want to spend some more time on this later on in the show, but like I think there's a real difference between being like option 1B and being a primary versus sort of like non-primary ball handler. And right now I think Zach, it's fair to say Zach is a non-primary ball handler where DeMar is the primary ball handler. And I don't think that is a knock on Zach. In fact, I think it actually unlocks a lot of his game and helps him down the line grow into that role um, where it, it seemed kind of like he 
you know, had to run before he could walk in a lot of ways over the last five years or so. So I, I really do think that there's room for him to develop that part of his game. And as we've talked about before as well, like, I don't think there, there's this idea with, with like basketball analysis and fans that like it ha- everything has to go through one player that he's going to have 90% usage mm-hmm. that it's going to be Luka Doncic ball and that nobody else can really touch it. But like, even with the maps, we saw, saw in the playoffs, Jalen Brunson being sort of like the indicator of their success. When he played well, they played well. Obviously, you know, you're getting from Luca, and I hope that we can sort of have that facsimile of DeMar where, you know, he's doing the same thing he did last year, but Zach is going to have to develop more. And, and that's where, and we, we can spend some time talking about this max contract. And even aside from the cap, you know, realities of there's no way, you know, cap table wise, financially, uh, just like relationships wise, um, that the Bulls were not going to give him a max contract. But like, we're talking about his age 27 through age 31 seasons. This is like the thick of his prime. And we've seen how he has developed to this point. I think just because he, you know, took a step back and his usage dropped, dropped 3% and DeMar had the ball a little bit more than he did. I do not think that that is a sign of stagnation for him at all. No, completely agree. And like as you sort of mentioned there, we'll get more into Zach, what makes him a max player, why that's justified, all that sort of stuff, and you know what what comes next for Zach. But before we do so, we'll tell the people about our friends at PointsBet. PointsBet Sportsbook is counting down the days until the football season. I know, Mark, you are a huge American football fan. You've got Bears flags behind you. I see them every time we record, but. (laughs) We are here in Chicago excited about the Bears, even though they're probably going to be not very good. And there is a new offer every single day at the PointsBet Sportsbook until the season kicks off. Until From now until September 8th, you can get a new daily offer between 12 and 1 p.m. Central Time. So if you enjoy CHGO, the way to help us grow is to download PointsBet Use code CHGO when you sign up. You are getting two risk-free bets up to $2,000. And if you make a $51 first-time deposit or more, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content and a free t-shirt from the CHGO locker. Uh, We have some good stuff every week across all of the sports. As you know, like Bears are kicking off. Cubs and White Sox are in season. The White Sox are hopefully making a playoff push here. Um, I've been writing bull stuff is going to heat up. Like you probably want to get a membership and a 51 or more dollar first time deposit at points, bet gets you that and a free shirt and $2,000 free bets. So download the points bet app today. Use code CHGO to take advantage of this offer. Don't just bet Mark, tell them what to do. Folks, you live your bet life when you sign up. Uh, and look, I just can't wait for the throwball season with like uh, the, the Bears. What what a team. What a, what an organization. What a uh, storied franchise they are. I'm assuming that's the case. So Twitter keeps trying to recommend me stuff about the Bears and the NFL. And I keep saying, go away. Don't tell me about any of this nonsense. I don't care about any of this. But because I follow so many Chicago people, seemingly that is the case. So um, I, I guess I, you only have to root for one Chicago sports team, one owner of Chicago sports teams. Yeah, I guess by virtue of being a Bulls fan, I've tried getting into other 
uh, you know, Bulls adjacent, adjacent Chicago adjacent type sports. Um, I tried one time with the Bears back in like 2000s-ish era. Um, what was the guy's name, the quarterback? And you had that bold linebacker guy and... Uh, Erlacher? <laughs> Yeah, Rex guy. Grossman, Jake Holler, Kyle <laughs> Rex Gross. Yeah, Rex They've Grossman. They've had a new quarterback every year, so there's a lot. There's of another quarterback I used to play with on NFL, like 2006, 2007, something like that. He's, what was his name? I, I remember everyone talking about him like because he was and, – and, and the main thing about him was that he was a game manager or whatever the hell that means. Um, clearly wasn't a big guy that was going to throw down a million uh, touchdowns, but like a guy that could just, I don't know, get the ball up. I uh, think – What's, what's this? I, I think we're just embarrassing of. ourselves at this point. I think I am definitely embarrassing my uh, myself here. So apologies to. <laughs> I know about the Bulls, people. Stuff. I I like the Bears. I like the Cubs, but I know about the Bulls. Yeah, well, I, I like to think about. I know about the Bulls, but maybe I don't, and um, I certainly don't know anything about the Bears. But uh, at least know who mind. the players were in two thousand six. <laughs> I mean, Brian Urlacher, what a beast! What a what a beast he was. Uh, There's a guy named Tommy Harris, wasn't there, or something like that. Yeah, he was a Bears player. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> let's move on. Let's talk about Zach Levine, a guy who was definitely not a Bears player. So he's a Bulls player. He was who we were talking about before. Let's talk more about him because that's something I do. Not <laughs> we know. need to we need to start over and just re-record all of this. <laughs> Zach Levine. So we, we were talking about him, and you know, he's a the way he adapted playing next to Demar and all that sort of stuff. And I, I don't know, we're like like. Naturally, when you put someone like Levine with any other high usage player, like your numbers are generally going to de- go down. You mentioned before that his numbers didn't increase at the same rate that maybe they had in years past, which again isn't surprising. But at the same time, like a lot of his numbers, like virtually half of his season and the, and the numbers he's, he put up was influenced via the injury itself. So I, for whatever reason, like we talk about Lonzo's injury, we talk about Caruso's injury. I know we do also discuss Zach and the fact that he sort of powered through his injury, but because maybe he was on the court more than those guys and he was quote unquote playing basketball, it, it kind of goes uh, unnoticed to some degree that maybe a lot of what we did see from Zach last season, whether it's just pure on-court stuff, his numbers going up and down or, you know, whatever his usage percentage going down, whatever, whatever the situation may be like so much of it is about like playing next to DeMar, but like, isn't it also like the fact that this dude for like 40 odd games had to battle through a knee injury and for whatever reason, just feels like that's discounted some by certain people. Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. Uh, I think that was most apparent for me in the playoffs where his scoring went down. I mean, it's amazing to me when you just look at the percentages, his numbers stay and especially his shooting splits stay roughly the same. I mean, he shot, 39% 39% on threes this year. He was at 42 last year, but 38th year before that. So it's not like he was dropping off significantly. Uh, 47.5% from the field. Yeah, that's down from 51, but it's up from the 45 year before that. So it is kind of wild to just see where his numbers sort of balanced out. But if you look at it just in terms of pre and post all-star break, which I know is not a perfect proxy, um, his shooting percentage uh, from the field went down by 2%. His three-point percentage went down by 3 um, And his usage went down just a little bit as well. Uh, but his scoring assists and field goals did uh, – excuse me, his scoring rebounds and assists stayed all roughly the same. So I think because of that, we kind of overlook the fact that he was not playing at 100% health. And we'll never know why he didn't take out more games or – 
what was going on with the knee. Like, sounds like he'll be ready to go. I haven't actually heard anything to the contrary, but um, yeah, I mean, I do think that really affected this transition period. And, you know, we talk about it with Patrick Williams missing a lot of time. Like I think playing injured and also figuring out a new role on this team alongside two pretty ball dominant players and then, you know, losing two super important role guys for significant portions of the year. Like that's a lot of adjustment to have to make. And as I'm saying this, I realize I'm kind of talking myself into this argument of continuity, which I've been skeptical of for the past several weeks here. But I do think in terms of Zach's progression, it does make a little bit more sense to think that, you know, he could still continue to, to grow into this role when you consider health and health around him and just, you know, more, more experience playing next to DeMar. Yeah, and look, I talked about shot selection earlier and the fact that I didn't think his shot selection was as good last season it was as it was the year prior. But like, and we've talked about the injury, we've talked about adapting to a new role, new teammates, that sort of stuff. And like, you can start going down a path where we're being somewhat negative or detracting from the guy. But at the same time, like you read the numbers before, 24 points per, uh, per game, a shade under five rebounds, five assists, uh, 47, 39, 85 shooting splits. So when you factor in those numbers with all those talking points that we've we've hit on before, it, I, I kind of feel stupid after like stepping back away from him. Like this dude in a season where, you know, maybe things didn't go completely to plan, particularly with the injury. If his baseline through all of that nonsense is still averaging essentially 25-5 on elite efficiency, you, you kind of do feel a little bit dumb for being critical. Like in, in the moment, you know, it makes sense to get in the minutiae. You make sense to be critical. And we're not wrong for being critical in those moments because there's always things that Zach could be doing better or whatever the situation may be. But at the same time, going forward, like if that is your baseline of a so-so stagnation type season, then like we're dealing with a player obviously who deserves a max contract. So we've been on and banged on about that before and he's got one now. So it is what it is. But like to, to me at this point, like if this is your your baseline, if this is like you having a average season, I guess, or like a, a typical season, let's say, then it stands to reason that there's potential for this guy to, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe take another, another step or two. And uh, I that, that's kind of why it's been fascinating to me that we haven't necessarily talked more about Zach and, and what comes next for him. Like, like I mentioned before, all we've talked about is how he, see, how he fits with DeMar. How, if he's a max player, should he do this or that from a contract perspective? But like, I don't know. And when we, we talk about pa- Patrick Williams having the most development curve or the biggest about almost maybe most, the most important development curve. But I wonder if it's actually Zach Levine here, Will, because like, we, we talk about Patrick Williams, if he gets to a certain level and how that changes or propels the balls. But like, if Zach can go from a top 30, top 25 player to a top 15 player, let's just call that even there, let alone higher. I mean, that does, doesn't that change the sphere of where the balls can go more than what you know Patrick Williams could do? Or if you get another DeMar season or whatever, the insert whatever, you know, uh, you know <laughs> insert any other potential option. Like, is, is, is Zach going to like, a pure superstar level, not the best, the best and biggest thing that could happen to the Bulls next season. Yeah. And I think that's the point that, you know, when you look at the contract and what ages the contract goes through, as I mentioned, 27 to 31, and this is, this is the full prime years of his career. Um, I think he, yeah, I think that the thing that 
that I want to spend some time talking about is like what that actually looks like. Um, because there, I think you, you are not a finished product really at any point, like you're, you're either getting better or getting worse at some things or, you know, learning different parts of the game. And like, that doesn't always reflect in your box score numbers. But I mean, to me, I think the big, the big thing that I want to look at here is like how his game changed playing alongside DeMar and then using that, like to try to project forward, how he can add sort of another gear or get to another level. Um, given what we know about how he performed last year in his first season playing alongside like a real, you know, star player, all due respect to 22 year old Carl Towns. Um, so last year, his usage dropped just over 2%. Um, doesn't seem super significant. And frankly, it's not. I mean, it was still 29%. That's extremely high. Um, he's getting opportunities. You know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just like getting shots up. Um, but even like this idea of having to play next to Amar the whole time, I think is a little overblown because he's playing, they're, sta- they're staggered a ton. I mean, he's getting opportunities to run the offense, um, you know, have those Booch and Zach two man moments when Damar's on the bench, things like that. So usage down a little bit, um, two point field goal attempts per 100 possessions down by about half, uh, half a field goal attempt, basically nothing. Um, this is where it was actually extremely surprising to me was his three point field goal attempts per 100 possessions was down by 1.5 attempts. That was surprising. I thought like playing off the ball a little bit more, he might be getting up more threes. Um, but I think that part of that can be explained by the fact that one, he wasn't really just, he wasn't getting as many shots off and two, his field uh, free throw attempts per 100 actually went up by one, uh, just under one. So I think he was using those opportunities to, you know, devolve more into that mid-range shooter that we saw probably in the in the previous years, but also, you know, really making an effort to get to the line. And that's something that he did at a really high level last year. Um, you know, he had, I think it was a career high, no, um, 5.6 uh, free throw attempts per game, not quite a career high, but pretty close and certainly above last year. So a concerted effort to improve his efficiency that way. Um, what did you, and then, yeah, I think the, the last part there is the turnovers, which were down 1.2 and, and that makes sense given the fact that he just didn't have the ball in his hands as much. Um, and that he was more of a play finisher than a play starter shot creator sort of role. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think all that stuff makes sense when you look at it, but now using that information to, to sort of see how you can ramp up in those areas or, um, maximize his role that way versus as we talked about sort of roll that forward into transitioning more into that on-ball primary creator well from from my perspective like the one way that i think the bulls can unlock zach and this is what i was expecting uh going into last season was to be for zach to be the guard leading the second unit and that was what I always thought made sense. It always made, uh, it, uh, to my eyes at least, I, I always wanted to keep Demar and Vooch together as, as much as possible um, and have maybe a second unit headed by Zach and Lonzo whereby that second unit could really push the tempo and be that transition type team and maybe that first unit that's spearheaded with, uh, you know, Demar as, as a primary option running pick and roll with Vooch and then Zach working off that, um, that being the, the primary uh, objective of the first unit, then obviously once Demar and, and Vooch check out, then then you go to a Zach centric offense um, with uh, you know him acting as the primary. Obviously, the Bulls didn't necessarily do that because 
for whatever reason, just naturally, uh, to, you know, Billy Donovan had DeMar in the second unit. They, they ran that early. That got an early look in, in the season last season. It was very effective. Obviously, those DeMar and second unit lineups, which I still don't understand how how it made sense or how it how that was successful, given it was just DeMar surrounded by a bunch of non-shooters. And that second unit, the, the only shooting option in that second unit was consistently Kobe White. So, like, fundamentally on paper, like, that never made sense to me, but it worked. And because it worked, obviously, Donovan kept going to it, as he should have. Uh, but I, I guess what I'd be interested to see coming up in this season is like, I know it worked last season with Demar being that that you know the the, the the main primary option at least the start at the start of second and fourth quarters. But can we flip that this season? Can can Zach take that role now? Keep Demar and Vooch together. Get Demar more rest. I think more generally would be nice to see. But like, if we're wanting to up Zach's on ball reps, if we wanted to get him more touches, more of a uh, more experience in AES being a primary guy, then let's do it with the second unit as a starting point. Let's flip the roles a little bit, have Zach being that second unit, being the primary guy with Caruso and uh, and Lonzo. Surround him who with who you want thereafter, whether it's Derek Jones Jr., Javante, or Andre Drummond. But like, if that's your second unit, that would be interesting to me. And I think that's a way you, you sort of merge both identities, whereby you can get that transition stuff happening. You can get Zach in a primary option. You can get him more on-ball reps in that sense whilst keeping Vooch and, and, and DeMar together, I think, who work really well as a pick-and-roll combination. So, like, I think I think you can achieve all these things, I guess is my point. You can get Zach more on-ball reps, but it may not necessarily be in closing moments or even the first uh, within the first few minutes of, uh, you know, the opening quarter in, in those situations. But by having him more you know, being more responsible for that second unit. I mean, as he gets more experience within that role, ultimately it will, it will bleed into those scenarios where he will be better for it coming into those closing scenarios in, you know, fourth quarters, for example, where it doesn't have to just be demand time because at that point, Zach's got more more of an opportunity. He's got more experience and hopefully he's de- uh, developed into that role. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And for me, it's like, it's less about the scoring aspect. Like, I think we all know... Yeah. He can, he can do that at like the highest level. Um, it's more to me about decision-making and yeah. um, the facilitation piece. Like I think Zach is probably pretty close to maxed out as a defender. Like when he's locked in and, and trying and focused, I think he's, you know, he's fine. He's good enough. Um, he's not going to, not going to ever be great, but like at his very best, he's not going to kill you. Um to me, it's like the decision-making and the playmaking and sort of balancing. I think we talked about it a lot in the past, but like not necessarily deciding what he's going to do before he does it, but like reading the game a little bit better. And I think that's all stuff that he should be able to develop, especially in the second units where, you know, it's maybe not going against the top competition. Um, he can use that opportunity to grow a little bit. And I think it's kind of the same thing we talked about with Pat too, just like, putting him more in those situations. But I also think, and I keep going back to this, it's like there's a, a balance to be had with creating within the flow of the offense. And I think that just like got worse and worse and devolved more and more throughout the course of the season to where it just, it didn't exist at the end of the year. I mean, it was all just like zipper cuts for DeMar to get the ball at the elbow to get a jump shot in the playoffs. I mean, that was like the entire offense. It was like pick and pops for Vooch and DeMar elbow jumpers. Um, I think there has to be a little bit more flow involved 
I think you challenge Zach's decision-making in that regard, but you also set him up where, you know, he's got an advantage. He knows what the advantage is because if you're coming off of a dribble handoff from the wing and you've got your defender trailing you, you know what the four on five is. And so you know where you can start to pick apart reads. And I think if he starts to, you know, and it's not like he can't do this. Like he's, he's fine at this. I don't think he's elite. Um, But I think the more experience he gets, the more he starts to understand the moving chess pieces, um, putting him in those flow situations, I think will help that development curve a little bit more than just saying, here's the ball spread, pick and roll. Let's just pound this into the ground until you figure it out. Because I, I don't think that worked very well over the first couple of years with the Bulls. Yeah, I don't disagree. But at the same time, like how much is that a product of limitations of Zach or whoever it may be versus limitations of the roster more generally? And we talked about this last week about, um, you know, the Bulls being a low three-point attempt rate team. Is that a product of the way Billy is scheming up the offense or is that a product of the personnel around you? And and to me, I I have my opinion on that, but... I state that because in this situation, when you want to get into more a more flow type offense or a more motion type offense, where you want to share the ball more, take advantage of, uh, you know, take advantage of uh, creation opportunities whereby lanes are opening up because you move, you are moving the ball. Like that only works when you've got five players who can, you know, be triple threats on the court. Like if you're moving the ball between Demar Vooch and and Zach, yeah, okay, that can be effective. But then if you swing the ball to the corner and you got Derek Jones Jr. spotting up um, and, you know, he records scratches at three or he's not necessarily in a position or he's not confident enough to make a play where he can then take the ball off the bounce and then continue moving the ball. Like in that situation, then that that kind of ruins your flow and your motion offense. So like, I don't know, I'm still of, of multiple minds as to like, is that a Zach issue? Is that a DeMar thing? Or is that a product of the role guys around, the, around these guys? So... Well, I think the the piece there where you can start to really emphasize it again is having Lonzo and Caruso back and you're playing a little bit more in like secondary transition. I think that's an area where they can, where obviously that was like a huge part of their identity in the first sort of quarter of the season and something they did really well. Um, but obviously when you, you know, as we talked about before, like you remove a big piece of that, it's going to go away a little bit. And so um, reintroducing that, and I think that's where, you, you hit on it of just like making sure that he's playing with Lonzo and potentially Caruso too in those second units to where they can really emphasize that as one of their modes of offense because you are going to get more of that, you know, slow it down, um, isolation, spread pick and roll stuff with Damar and Pooch. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But uh, I, I think... I think if you have reasonable options around him where you can get the offense humming along and, and you know, you've got players around him that can, you know, create play advantages, I suppose, um, then I think that in those situations, Zach can make plays, he can make reads. But if you've got a situation where it naturally just, yeah, naturally boils down to a, a you know, a very pick and roll heavy offense, oscillation based, like, again, we talked about this last week, but I was of the opinion, like, that Billy ran that type of offense and then things delved into that direction because that's just naturally how how it was always going to go based on the roster construction. So in that sense, I right. kind of, I assume no, that's I going to happen like again. Once they're, once they're more whole and they can yeah, yeah, yeah. reintroduce that into their offense, I think that's like a good area to sort of practice those things in not like lower stakes situations, but 
situations where it's a little bit more natural to get an advantage. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, and, and if you are playing him in the second unit with Lonzo and Caruso or whoever it may be, maybe you've got Derek Jones Jr. and Andre Drummond in there at the same time, uh, being the role guys in, in, in transition, like those guys running lanes and just trying to essentially uh, catch the ball and dunk it, basically. Like in those situations where there's more more open court plays, like you can get the ball to Zach in those in those uh, particular play types and, and and having creating those situations and and maybe that is an easier way to to sort of facilitate or, or get the offense going from that put, that perspective. I mean, we have seen Zach being a, an effective playmaker in transition when it has occurred. Um, now, typically, you want the ball in Lonzo's hands in those scenarios, so maybe you want Zach being the finisher because that's more ideal. But having said that, you can still you can still play around and toy with that, and um, you know, and, and that, that that we'll get into that a little bit more. Well, and you know, talking about you know where does Zach go from here? What what is what does he have in terms of another gear? But before we do, I want to tell the people about our other sponsor here on the show today, Foco. If you've, you people in Chicago or just more generally wherever you are, you're already getting the best coverage for your favorite sports teams. So get fitted out in the best gears, uh, sports gear around by visiting our friends over at FOCO. FOCO has got you covered from Soldier Field to the front room, north or south side with hoodies, slippers, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between, Will. So if you want to get decked out like DeMar with apparel from the leaders in sports merch and collectibles, go visit FOCO. If you're looking for the perfect gift for the football fan in your life, meet Will. I'm that football fan in your life, as we've established. I'm trying to get you trying to get you started. Exactly. I Foco have got the perfect gift for me. So after we're done recording this episode, can you please log on to Foco? Uh, Foco.com. Get onto there and use promo code CHGO for all pre-sale items. If you use that code, friends, you will get a 10% discount. So Will, like after we're done recording, if you could please jump onto the Foco website. Link to the to the to that is in the description of this episode. Use promo code CHGO, CHGO, get ten percent off, and get me some sweet bears merch. If you if you want to do it for someone like me, I'll gladly accept. If you've got that football fan in your life, someone else, Bulls fan, Cubs fan, Sox fan, whatever it may be, Foco have you got have you covered for all your Chicago sports merchandise and collectibles? So hit the link. Uh, CHGO at uh, use that promo code for 10% off all pre sale items. I won't go on another rant about the Bears, Will, because we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get derailed. Let's continue talking about Zach Levine and, and the fact that, you know, what other avenues do they have in terms of exploring a way to sort of pump up or, or gear up his game? And I, I think we sort of touched on it there in, in terms of getting him more into that second unit guy or being the primary guy in the second unit. Um, getting him more on ball reps from that perspective, but is is there other ways to do this? Should that be a consideration for when Demar is on the court? Like, should the Bulls be actively um, trying to get Zach in more of those scenarios rather than Demar? Like, is is that counterintuitive in some ways? I, I don't know. Does it make sense to maybe do that during the season when we're in the past we've talked about the Bulls not necessarily being a lock for a, a playoff spot in terms of the top six? So do you have the, uh, I guess, can you afford to, to sort of take those risks where you're maybe taking the ball out of DeMar's hands, putting it more in Zach Levine's, like maybe the ultimate ceiling or the potential reward of that scenario makes complete sense and it can get, you know, the player and the team to a different level, but there's a cost potentially to that as well. So I don't know, like, is there situations where you could see Zach taking on more of a primary role when 
when Demar is on the court? Like we talked about when when Demar's off it, but like what about when Demar's on? That's a tough one, and I I think again it goes back to this idea that like there doesn't necessarily have to be a true like one A person, one A shot creator, primary ball handler has ninety seven percent usage on the court at any given time. I think the best version of the Bulls is a little bit more egalitarian. And again, I think context and circumstance just happened to push the Bulls further and further away from that as the season went on. But I do think that there is sort of going to be this slow, I don't want to say passing of the torch, but like uh, sort of leveling out of uh, shot creation responsibilities. But I think like it's important to note the difference here between like a 1B option and a non-primary ball handler option. And I think what we're talking about here is Zach becoming a more primary ball handler option. Um, You know, somebody who scores 25 points a night on outrageous efficiency is not like a second option. I mean, he's, he's a primary option. He just isn't the kind that has the ball in his hands at all, at all kind, at all points. And so I think part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the, the, the flow of the offense and opportunities coming, you know, not just by spread pick and roll is going to sort of ease that transition. And so for me, I think that's the area where you really start to incorporate this more into, you know, Zach's repertoire. And that's kind of like, I, again, I look to the Suns and Devin Booker at that. Like we, we all know what he could do offensively scoring the ball wise, um, before Chris Paul came. And then, as you said, Chris Paul came in, really sort of commanded the offense, was the true you know, floor general type. And I think a lot of that has rubbed off on, on Devin Booker. And so understanding those angles, understanding how to use those picks, where to position bigs, I think that's a big piece of it too. It's like the Bulls don't really have a, a, a hard dive screener, right? Like they don't have somebody who's going to go catch lobs the way DeAndre Aiden does. Chris Paul basically says, like, Aiden, if you have your body turned at a 47-degree angle against this guy, you're going to get a dunk, so do that. And, like, the Bulls don't really have that in Vooch, and they do have more of a stretch big and somebody who can open up the floor that way, but that that goes more towards the um, the scoring ability of the ball handler, so Demar Zach in this case. Um, whereas if you have a roll big, it can and sort of open up assist opportunities. So I think all that to say... Um, there is going to be more creation, but I don't necessarily think that that looks like just more scoring. Like I want to see um, a better understanding of, you know, commanding the floor and understanding the angles and um, manipulating the pieces around him. I think that's going to be the indicator for me. And if we see that playing next to Demar, awesome. If we see that more, as we talked about in these second units, that's great too. But either way, I think that's, that's probably like the most important area where Zach can really, Again, it's not like a passing of the torch situation, but that's where I think the Bulls have room at the ceiling to grow is like Zach becoming somebody who can really make those decisions and become that primary facilitator, facilitator, creator, scorer on his own if DeMar is taken out of a game somehow. Well, the, the irony to all this is, to me, is like DeMar is the perfect Zach facsimile in, in a lot of senses. Like their careers are mirrored in a lot of ways. Um, their 
you know, the just the general narrative about who these players are at certain points in their career is very similar. And we, you know, a lot of the criticisms that Zach receives now in the past, that they've, they've, they've been on DeMar's shoulders in the past as well. But then DeMar went to San Antonio, reinvented himself into that, you know, primary option, that a guy that could give you six or seven assists, keep turnovers low, be a very good decision maker and pick and roll and, you know, could ultimately act as a primary option and run the offense. Like who DeMar has evolved his game into, particularly going from Toronto to San Antonio, he's, he, he completely changed as a player. And that's kind of what we're asking Zach of now. Like, can he have a similar type of progression whereby he, you know, maybe right now he's a, a supercharged version of the DeMar in Toronto, but can he be, or can he make some movements or developments in the same ways that DeMar did in, in San Antonio? Can he do something similar? Now, obviously, Again, maybe some irony of this is that DeMar has sort of reverted back from being that primary playmaking type. He, he hasn't necessarily come in and be that, or have been, has been that type of player in Chicago. He's just gone back to maybe the DeMar of old, but um, has just supercharged himself from that perspective. But like, can Zach take on some of the, the, the learnings that the DeMar made in San Antonio in terms of how he involved his game in, in San Antonio? Can, can Zach do something similar? So like, that's... That's interesting to me. Like, and he doesn't look to have to look very far to to try to find, like I said, that facsimile of type player or, or role or example of someone who did something like that. So, like Demar, Demar is that guy. Like, he he's exactly the type of player who, in years past, I would have said should never be a primary guy. Should never be an on ball creator. Like a, someone that you want the ball in their hands and having them being a a lead decision maker or someone who, in those scenarios, someone who you're going to be confident about making you know the right play. Like five, ten years ago, we wouldn't be saying those things about Demar Derozan, but ultimately, his 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 game evolved and changed. So, who's to say that can't happen with Zach, or it, it shouldn't happen with Zach? Like, it, it most certainly can happen because I didn't think it was possible for Demar. It happened. So, can it happen with Zach? I guess now, like that. That's that's the interesting point here, and uh, I think like Demar is literally the perfect the perfect person to learn from. And I think you know, taking back to the Suns example. I think DeMar is even a better person to learn it from than Chris Paul is because he wasn't this natural mm. gifted facilitator yeah. that Chris Paul has been his whole life. Like he developed yeah. that. And that's one proof that you can learn it. And two, you know, you can learn it from somebody who learned it themselves. Like he'll, I think be able to pick up a lot of this stuff. And I, again, I'm like talking myself into continuity here, but I think for the most part, it becomes this idea of like, um, mentorship like for example Thad Thad Young when he was on the Bulls was like a great locker room leader a great mentor to a lot of the young players but it's not like he was out there like teaching Zach how to be better so I, like we've I've certainly have criticized I don't want to speak for you I've criticized some of the roster um, construction tactics and some of the moves that the front office has made um, but I do think like a lot of the idea is right by bringing in somebody who is very much like Zach who can, who maybe is even a little bit more limited than Zach because he doesn't really have the threat of the three point shot. Whereas Zach is like one of the most elite three point shooters in the league. Um, by bringing him in to teach and mentor Zach and teach him that not only it's possible to become that, but how to do it. Um, and then you bring in some of the other infrastructural pieces in Lonzo who can be sort of that Mikhail Bridges type uh, with a little bit more playmaking um, 
and Vooch, who is you know obviously a different player, but similar in the sense that like he's a scoring big who can um, you know provide versatile offense uh, to DeAndre Ayton. Like I, I think the idea and the infrastructure is right. It's just about some of these um, more peripheral pieces, and that's that's where that criticism has come from. But I do think as we talk about it here, like a lot needs to go right, but there is it does come, it kind of comes down to Zach in a lot of ways that I hadn't thought about before of that being the piece that can really elevate the ceiling. Yeah. And look, to be fair, like I haven't thought about it much either because I don't know why, maybe it's because we exhausted ourselves talking so much about Zach on, on, on all, all these other different things, whereas the contract, his injury, you know, the fit with Damar or whatever it may be, like because you exhaust yourself talking about that much of Zach Maybe your mind just stops there. You have a roadblock. You don't want to talk about anything else about Zach. You move to something else. And uh, we've talked about Zach long enough. Let's just talk about the next thing, whatever it may be. But like, yeah, like I said before, we, we talk about, and we, you and I talked about this more recently when we had a, a you know, that Patrick Williams centric episode. But like, we get into this mindset of player X is, and then coming full circle, we're like, we, we only talk about the young guys and their development and the fact that someone's 20 or 21 and, and those are the guys that are important in terms of this team taking the next step. But I think the, 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 most, the most reasonable argument, I suppose, in terms of the Bulls really taking that next step is like if, you're, if your top 25 guy can turn into a, a top 15 guy, I, I don't really care. I mean, like ultimately, if, if, if Patrick Williams becomes a guy that can give you 13 or 14 points and seven rebounds like that that's extremely helpful and that would that would probably bump the bulls up a tier but if that can go from being a 25 and 5 guy to a 28 and 29 type player who can then add some pieces to his his um playmaking um the playmaking side of his game maybe his defense can get a, a smidge better as well I, I would argue that does so much more for the bulls in terms of current in terms of the, this currently constructing team for the season coming up, but maybe more importantly, the the next the next version of the team as well. Like, if we've talked about, like if Zach can be this this primary guy and those sorts of situations, like that would be ideal for this this current team. But going forward as well, and similarly, like the 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 the, the reverse of that situation, like if Zach can't be a primary guy, um, you know that that limits the current team, but then it also limits what happen what you can do. In, with the team thereafter, or like it, it changes or shapes how you have to build your team thereafter. So I don't know, like it, it's just funny to me. Like, I don't know why we haven't talked about it or talked about it more, but so much of what the Bulls can or can't be does still sit with Zach. And uh, like I said, we, we like to point to Patrick Williams or maybe Io or Lonzo or whoever it may be. And like, that's where the natural development curve of those players will ultimately lead to the team itself. But I don't know, for whatever reason, we, we forget about the fact that Zach's only 27 and that he still has scope to grow his game. And, and if he does in a similar way that Devin, Devin Booker does, then there's potential for the Bulls to be a legitimate 55-win team and Zach to be a primary guy. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting thought. And I think we do tend to just assume that he is done growing, which obviously, you know, as we talk about it here, I think is not true. But... Um, yeah, I just I also kind of wonder like, you know, how long this process takes because um you know, you bring in Demar for 3 years and this is obviously entering year 2. Um at what point does it become more of like he needs to start to develop into this 
to, well, we kind of need him to be this now because, you know, this is, this is it. Like, this is the moment where, you know, he can, that he needs to be able to do that because DeMar can no longer be able to do that. And so I think this year, you know, rather than just saying like Zach is next year, now that he's a max player, now that he's healthy, he's going to be that number a one primary ball handler, like DeMar can stand in the corner kind of thing. Obviously I don't believe that, but um, you know, I do think this is a big year for him in terms of understanding that transition and really like, you know, I, I think last year was more about transitioning into more of an off ball role um, despite the high usage, but this year it's going to be developing more into like a sort of even equal role as DeMar. And then that will maybe be able to springboard him you know, the following year. And, and hopefully, you know, Io and Patrick and Caruso and Lonzo will also be on that trajectory as well. Yeah, well, and look, that's the challenge of the situation the Bulls are in there. They, they're trying to achieve multiple things at one time. Like they're trying to win now, but at the same time, there's still pieces on this roster, including Zach, who require more development. So it's like, can you do both things at once? We're, we're, again, we've talked about this in the past and the validity of that and, and how feasible is it? But that's the the needle they're trying to thread at the moment, and we'll see what happens. I guess it, it may not be this is this season that Zach evolves into the primary guy. Maybe it's next season or the season thereafter. But at that point, you know, Demar is thirty four, thirty five. Vooch may or may not be on the roster, and if he is, he's thirty. He will be thirty four, thirty five. Who knows what Lonzo Caruso Pat will be at that stage? So, yeah, they, the Bulls need it to happen now, but will it happen now? I guess that's that's the the fascinating part, but. Time will tell, William. We shall see. Yeah, and like Patrick, like Io, like all these things, it's going to require some patience. I don't think, as I was kind of saying, like Zach doesn't vault into this role right away, but I do think there is some pressure, some added pressure on him to, I don't want to say like earn this contract because I think, one, he's already done that, but two, it's kind of just like a silly way to think about it. Like, again, a lot of this was just like, you know, it was fixed. It was sort of destiny in the sense that there was no way around paying him a max. Um, and so I do think there is, you know, the fact that that happened, the fact that there is sort of a, a status around it. Um, I do think that adds some pressure here. And I think he'll step to the challenge, as, you know, assuming health for him and everybody else, as we talked about, that's a really important factor here as well. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, uh, the the meat the meatheads will be out in full force, particularly now that he has the max, the max contract. There, there's always going to be some detractors for Zach, and that's just the way it is. Like you just got to accept it. And, and I say that trying to I'm talking to myself in that sense because uh, uh, I'll definitely have moments this upcoming season where I'll be yelling at these uh, detractors. But um, it will be silly. Like like ultimately that. The, the, there will be uh, criticism. Some of it will be fair. Some of it will not. But yeah, there, there will be uh, more pressure on him now that he does have that max deal for sure. But, you know, let's see. Maybe maybe he answers that and, and becomes a better player. And if he does, the Bulls will be a, a much better team for it. But uh, time will tell, William. So let's see how it all plays out. Thank you for joining me today, Will. Uh, that was a fun conversation talking about all things Zach Levine. Like I said, for whatever reason, we, we just forget about this guy in some senses. Maybe that's because of what DeMar did and the fact that there's still like a lot of intrigue and mystique around Patrick Williams and what he can be. Obviously, the whole Lonzo thing. It, we, we, we kind of forget about Zach in a, in a weird way, uh, which is kind of odd in, in, in some sense, but uh, it is what it is. But thank you, for everyone, for tuning in 
CHGO Bulls. Uh, it's been fun talking all things uh, Zach Levine. Happy, happy, happy birthday to Patrick Williams. Let's end on, on that note, Will. Let's bring it full circle. Happy 21st to Patrick Williams. You've still got plenty of years ahead of you. You've still got plenty of potential in you, Patrick, even though you're 21. You're not 20 anymore, but you're 21. But, um, you know, I'm really uh, expecting big things from Patrick Williams going forward. And I can't wait, Will, to see what this player will be at age 21 age 22 and age 23, like what he can be, um, even age 25. Think about Patrick age 25. What That's a too far down the line. I don't, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, let's call it a day. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. The guys will be back next Monday. Usual spots, wherever you uh, wherever you follow us, whether, wherever you listen to us, whether it's YouTube, whether it's in your you know your standard podcast players, whatever it may be, you know where to find us at this point. Follow Will on Twitter at WantGotLeap. Follow me on Twitter at MKHoops, CHGO Bulls on Twitter, underscore Bulls on Twitter. So you know where to get us. You know where to find us. Tune in next week. We'll be back then. So speak then, Bulls fans.